until this past March when um, the state of California put a moratorium on all capital offense um, uh, sentences, um, basically the death sentence, how many different crimes in the state of California were considered capital offenses? Does anybody know? You can quick Google it if you want. Anyone want to guess? There's actually three. Three that are capital offenses in the state of California. The first, of course, is murder. First degree murder, which all of us are aware is a capital offense. The second one is treason against the state of California. So if you do something for another power outside of the state of California in order to affect the state of California in a negative way, that's treason against the state of California. That's also a capital offense. There's a third capital offense, although I'm having a feeling that that comes from a different time, and that is if you would cause damage or destruction to a train that would result in the loss of life. And I have a feeling that that goes back from the days in the West with gold and that sort of stuff when people would try to hold up trains in order to um, steal whatever gold or whatever was on those train, great train robberies type of thing. So three capital offenses. What's interesting about this story this morning that we're going to look into is that we have a character, a pillar of faith in the life of the church and in the scriptures that we know that has actually committed two of those offenses. He didn't hold up a train because trains didn't exist. But he did commit treason and he did commit murder and yet he is arguably considered the greatest leader in the history of the nation of Israel. And of course, that's Moses. We're going to spend time looking at the story of Moses, the calling of Moses from Exodus chapter 3. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. It's going to be the the, um, second book of the Bible, beginning with Genesis and then Exodus. So it's right near the beginning. Outstanding. Thank you, Jim. And then uh, as we prepare to hear God's word, we're going to pray for his presence and his blessing on our time. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we look at this character from your word, this person whom we certainly hold up as a community of faith, as one of the great leaders that you have called to lead your people who has lived into and lived into many centuries ago a lifestyle of calling, a lifestyle of faith, a lifestyle of strength. We also realize, Lord, that he is a person who in many different ways was disqualified. Disqualified by the world. Disqualified by the things that he had done. Disqualified by even his character at one point in life. Lord, that describes all of us. And as we hear the story of Moses being disqualified by the world and yet called by you to great and amazing and supernatural things, may we hear that for ourselves. May we understand more fully that despite the things that we feel disqualify us, that we may understand that with the power of your spirit and the presence of you and your voice and your calling on our lives, that extraordinary and miraculous things are possible when we do what it is that you call us to do. Lord, may we learn 
May we be challenged. May we understand more fully what it is that you've called us to this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to that passage of Scripture from Exodus chapter 3. It's a well-known passage, and oftentimes this is one of those flannel graph passages. You think of Sunday school back in the day where you would have this flannel graph and you would see the sort of the Sunday school images of a burning bush and this man Moses being called. We're going to read the first six verses of Exodus chapter 3. It says this there. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flocks to the far side of the wilderness, came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, to begin, I want to... Think about that last little phrase or sentence that we hear there where it says, at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Um, The way I read that passage was actually intentional. It was sort of monotone. It was sort of like, hey, this is the events. This is what happened here. I didn't really highlight what what should be clear to us as we read the text. First of all, Moses is in the desert. He's near the mountain of God, Mount, um, Mount Horeb, which um, is important that he's in this holy place where God has dwelled in the past and God will continue to dwell. In fact, Mount Horeb becomes uh, important throughout the text as we look at other stories. The fact that he's in this place and then suddenly he sees his, this burning bush. And he says these words, these are the words that Moses said. He says, I will go over and look at this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It sounds silly that he would he would be like, what in the world is going on here? There's a fire in the middle of the desert. First of all, fire in the desert is a dangerous thing because you've got lots of dry stuff and it can, take, it can consume a whole lot of stuff. It's like the brush fires that we see, even that we saw this week. Additionally, um, we see pretty quickly that God shows up and begins to speak to him. And when Moses says, here I am, it's not, oh, here I am. It's, uh, here I am. The caution of being approached by something supernatural and powerful. Now remember Moses' story to this point. Now we know the wonderful little basket salvation that Moses experienced, right? He was born to a Jewish family. And in Egypt, Jews, especially males, were to be killed. And so his mother puts him into a basket and puts him in the Nile. The, the, um, the Pharaoh's uh, daughter finds him and saves him and all that story. But then we also know he's raised in the Egyptian household, but he knows that he is Jewish. 
And he goes out one day and he sees that there is oppression happening of the Jewish people and kills an Egyptian overseer. So he has committed not only the act of murder, but also the act of treason. He's lived into this idea of um, uh, subverting the power of Egypt for another power, subverting the power of Egypt for the Jews. And all of a sudden now, he's in this holy place, in this spot, separated from Egypt, and God calls to him. Do you think his actions back in Egypt still are something that he carried? Of course they were. You don't murder somebody... And you don't run away from treason without having that a little bit on your conscience. So you can imagine when he heard God speaking to him from the burning bush, it was not an excitement of, oh good, God's here. Something really cool is going to happen. It was, oh no, God's here and I'm guilty. What is he going to judge me for? The murder or the treason or both or every other sin that I've ever committed. See, Moses was disqualified by his actions early in life. And he carried that disqualification even in being confronted with the calling of God where God meets him in the burning bush. And you can imagine in this moment of God saying to Moses, 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 the here I am that Moses uttered was a here I am of dread. Here I am. Do with me what you will. You've chased me. From Egypt to here, you found me. What is it that you're going to do to me? But God changes the story. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, okay, first of all, Moses is hearing right from the beginning, guess what? This is not so much about you as it is about me. This is God speaking. This is about God's plan for his people. Moses is sitting there with that element of guilt. He was even afraid to look at God. But God is looking at him saying, you don't need to be afraid of me because I'm not judging you for your sin. That's not why we're here today. What we are here about is the overarching need of my people who have cried out unto me for salvation. And I have heard their oppression is great. And I have made promises to them. We could have started this whole series with Abraham. 
with all the covenants of God that God said to Abraham that I will provide you a land and that land will be separate for you my people. God is in this moment with Moses fulfilling that promise. So it's not about Moses' idea of himself. It's about God's idea of what he can do through Moses. Friends, hear that. Hear that for yourself. It is not about you and I thinking about what we are capable of in and of our own capacity. Because if that were the case, most of us would sit back and do very little. Because I've spoken to many of you who say, oh, I don't have this. If I were to go to you and say something like, here's this particular place where God has called you to go and speak the gospel to a person or a place or a context, almost immediately, certainly within the first minute and a half, some of you would say back to me these words, well, here's what I can't do. You would say it in some way, shape, or form. How many of you think that would happen? Of course it would. Because we, first of all, look at our own incapacities. We look at the things that disqualify us from the big things. That's what Moses did. We do it too. And God is speaking to Moses in such a way this morning that we can hear for ourselves what you think disqualifies you from being used by God in big ways actually might be something specifically that he can use to leverage you and your abilities for the kingdom. And I want all of us to begin to ask that question for ourselves. What do you think your disqualification is? What stops you? Your fear? What, does, what stops you? You've made mistakes. I was speaking to someone this week, earlier this week, said, I asked them, um, by the way, Jody, Jody is here. Hi, Jody. No, jo- where is Jody? She's not here. She's at home. Okay. Jody Duncan has started this whole series of telling stories, right? Have some of you seen those stories on Facebook? And I asked Jody... Um, to interview some different people so that she can tell their stories to the whole community. We're putting them on Facebook and eventually we're going to put, put a book together to tell some of those stories. I was talking to somebody this week, asking them, would you be willing to tell your story? And this gentleman said to me, but if I tell my story, the church won't let me come back anymore because my story is so full of yucky stuff. Friends, some of that yucky stuff is exactly what qualifies us for the kingdom. It's exactly what God can use to equip us for bigger things. So ask yourself, what are the disqualifications that you think of in your life? How many of you met Augustine? I want all of you to make a point of meeting Augustine. This is my friend Augustine. Augustine and I are having a blast right now. Every Friday we go around, we visit different people, and we visited some of you. We're going to continue to do that over the next 10 months. Many of you will have me and Augustine sitting at your kitchen table or we'll be at a restaurant together. But in the meantime of having those visits, we move from house to house to house. Augustine drive around in my little Ford Escort and we have conversations and we have meaningful conversations. Right, Augustine? I hope they are. I think they are. I hope you do too. One thing you don't know about Augustine is that Augustine's life is full of absolutely monumental disqualifications. 
There are all these things as he tells his story to you, and I hope that you will hear it. Eventually, we're going to, as a community, hear that story, even on a Sunday morning or some way in publication. There are all these things in Augustine's life that disqualifies him from being capable of being where he is. Is that fair, Augustine? There are all these things that have happened in different places along the way, beginning from his childhood, his relationship to his parents, moving up to high school and where he ended up moving and how his family saw his future. Next, moving into college and what was supposed to be happening in college and what capacities he had, but what things seemed to be blocked from him. He gets, he gets graduated from college and the next part of the story is all this stuff of challenges, finding a job and place to fit and do things and, and various stuff that just seemed like things weren't working out. But every step of the way, there was a little door, a little thing that Augustine seemed to be open towards and God opened for him. And now we have the tremendous gift of having this young man with us for 10 months blessing us with the absolutely incredible gifts that he has. And that's one of the reasons why I want you to talk to him. Because he has these incredible gifts. He's a tremendous, uh, he's a tremendous gift to us. But if Augustine went off of his disqualifications, he wouldn't be sitting here. In fact, There's no way that we would have the opportunity to meet him because he's got more disqualifications, I think, than just about anybody in this room. As I've heard his story, he's got more than almost any of us. And yet, each of those disqualifications are exactly what equip him for being who he is now in this place at this time to bless us, to bless you, and be blessed by you. For you to be reminded of that for yourself. It doesn't matter what it is. Family disqualification. Upbringing disqualification. Abuse disqualification. Incapacity. Lack of education. It doesn't matter. How might God use some of those things even to grow your ability to speak into His kingdom? Passage continues, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Here he goes, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Hear that again. And God said, I will be with you. Moses asked the question, who am I? God says, here's here's how this is going to work. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, the holy mountain, Horeb. Moses said to God, excuse number two, suppose I go to the Israelites, say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now what's interesting in those two, this interaction is the interplay that we have. We have Moses asking this question, who am I? And God's response is, I am who I am. 
Moses saying, wait, if this is dependent on me, I'm in, I don't have the capacity. I can't do this. I can't pull this off. And God saying again to him, this is not about you. This is about me. I am who I am. And if I am who I am and I am with you, that's what it says, then you are always in the majority. You hearing that? If God is who God is and He is with you, no matter your incapacity, you are always in the majority because God is the majority. And for us to be reminded of that when we give the excuses, because we've all given them, we've all said, wait, hold on, I can't. I hear that calling. I hear the prompting of the Spirit on my life and on my heart. I I see God moving around me in such a way that He calls me into this space. And my first compulsion is to say back to God, wait, I can't. And God says, hold on here. When did this become about your capacity and your ability? I am who I am. And if you will go with me, I'll exhibit my power in you in that place. If you are but faithful to me, and I will do my work through you. This is simply about a willingness to be used by God to do great things. Moses becomes a pillar of faith. Not because of his capacity, but because ultimately he does get to the place where he is willing to be used by God despite his incapacity. And God does an incredible thing. He saves over a million people from oppression. He takes a million people who get cared for for 40 years through a desert wilderness where there's little food or water. And they eventually come into the promised land where through incredible, mysterious, supernatural things, walls fall down, enemies fall, the world is opened up and they eventually enter into the promised land. All because of who God is and not because of who Moses is. Imagine that for us and for ourselves. The final part of the passage, verse 16. Go assemble the elders of Israel. Say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what, you have, what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward his people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. 
which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. So we hear God, in a sense, saying, here's the plan. Here's how it's going to go. And even in that plan, he says, there is going to be challenge and strife. There is going to be some hard stuff for you ahead. For us to hear that and be reminded... That sometimes as God calls us into stuff, part of his plan for us in that stuff is that we will face challenges and it will be hard. And for us to be reminded of that, because here's often what happens. We enter into a calling of God if we've gotten past all the excuses. And we start into it. And then we hit some sort of barrier. There's something that comes up. And we think to ourselves, Oh, God must be closing the door. I better go back into my safe place because this door is certainly not open to you, me. And instead, God is saying, I am here in this moment, even of the barrier, to teach you and to teach something to the world around you about who I am as I break that barrier down. The barrier for Moses, of course, was fair. It was a hard journey that involved all the plagues and eventually death. But God is saying to Moses, that's part of my plan for Pharaoh. In fact, he's saying it, I wonder if he's saying it to Moses to say, that's part of my plan for you. Because you're going to create barriers. You're going to be stubborn. Was Moses stubborn? Certainly he was. God called him to touch a rock. He struck it. God had conversations with Moses when Moses was disobedient. Eventually, the consequence of his disobedience was that he couldn't go into the promised land with the people. God was saying to Moses, you are going to enter into hard stuff. Will you continue to trust in who I am? And he's saying that to us. Can you continue to trust in who God is even when things get hard and challenging for you in the days ahead? Can you trust even in those circumstances where you know God has called you, you were hesitant, but you started in, then some barrier comes up. Can you trust that even in facing that barrier, that God will continue to be faithful to you and multiply the blessing if you continue to be faithful to him. He's the majority. No matter what barrier you and I face, he is the one who is ultimately going to be the one to break it down and bring us into that land flowing with milk and honey. So for you and I to continue to ask that question, what disqualifications do you put on yourself? Or maybe an even better conversation for some of us is to talk to somebody that we love. Talk to your spouse. What disqualifications do I use? Kristen knows the ones for me and I know the ones for her and for even the, the things that we bring up and we say, oh, I'm not sure, I don't think so. I think that's something for someone else who has, we use that word, the gift, right? They have the gift of this thing. So since they have the gift, I'm not going to be involved because I don't have the gift. You have the call. The call is the gift. Live into the call. Because if God has called you to it, and He is who He is, when He calls you into it, you're the majority. And living into that call is the obedience that He gives to you. But what are the things that we use to stop us, especially on the front end? Because that's the problem, isn't it? It's the problem with trying to move a heavy thing or trying to move, like when you, start to, when you push a car that's broke down. 
The first foot and a half of pushing the car and getting it moving is the hardest part, isn't it? Because you got to get that thing moving. As soon as you get it moving, hopefully you catch a rhythm and it starts going. The problem that we have oftentimes is we use our disqualifications that we don't even move the foot and a half. We stop ourselves from even taking the step. Friends, what are the disqualifications that we use in the same way Moses did? To try to stop ourselves from being used by God in that way, because that way is uncomfortable and it's risky and it's bigger than something we've ever thought of or imagined before, but it's still something that you know the call is real. You know the call is there. And if he has called you to it in the same way that he has called us in Jesus Christ, then he is the one doing the work of redemption. He is doing the work of strengthening. He is doing the work of equipping. And when you and I walk into those spaces and we meet these things ahead, he's the one who's going to do the work of making them that land, that beautiful place, the land of milk and honey, where we know His blessing. Be challenged today to move beyond your disqualification and to take hold of the promise that no matter what happens, God is who He is. Let's pray. You are who you are. That is the name that you said that we should give to you. And you are all things. All power, all love, all grace. In Jesus Christ, you are all salvation. You are all hope. You are all the things that we need, Lord. May we understand that in light of our compulsion, even even just our natural inclination to give excuses when the big things are called of us, when the big things are asked of us. Lord, may we move beyond those things, understanding that with You and Your presence in our heart and our lives through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ, that we have You with us. And you're the majority. You always are. You're bigger and you're greater. And your plan often has has less to do with us than it does with what you are going to do through us. In the same way that Moses could have come before you, he came before you expecting judgment, but instead you were looking at the, the, the future of your people in the same way you might be doing that in us. You're not looking to judge us. You're not looking to, to give us that sort of punishment. Instead, you're looking to give us opportunity to serve you and see your kingdom bigger than we are. May we have the courage to enter into that, to trust that you are who you are, no matter what our circumstances are. That we can trust, Lord, that when you've called us to something, you will be with us in it. And when you're with us in it, blessing will come. May we trust in that, take hold of that. May we take hold of that more than we take hold of our own failings, of our own idea of ourselves. Instead, take hold of the idea that you have of who we are with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.